0: Hello everybody, and welcome to our second to last bonus episode marking the Brindlewood Bay Kickstarter. It's still going on right now as we record and release, there's a link in the show notes if you've not had a chance to check it out yet, I recommend that you do so. This is a Q&A with the creator of Brindlewood Bay, Jason Cordova. And this conversation, this Q&A travels all, to all kinds of places about the game, about Powered by the Apocalypse, about game development, about gaming culture. And his personal thoughts on what is your favorite Murder, She Wrote episode? Hey, if you've been wondering that, that's in here too. This was recorded before the Kickstarter launched. A number of stretch goals have been unlocked because the campaign has been very successful. So a couple of the things he was a bit cagey on here did get answered. So again, if you haven't looked at the Kickstarter page, you will find some answers to some of those questions there. We have one more special bonus episode coming up next week, and that is a conversation about being a keeper for Brindlewood Bay. The game is a little distinct in some ways, and uh, I do run into questions in forums here and there about people saying, hey, how how do I adapt to this? How do I run this? And I think we get into a lot of that stuff next week. I've had a lot of fun doing these bonus episodes, and we definitely do want to do more in the future. So... If you have suggestions for future roundtables, or if you just want to reach out, there is the Roll to Metal podcast Facebook page, I am at Jonah of the Sea on Twitter, or you can join the Gauntlet Discord and find me, Jonah of the Sea, on there. Okay? Let's go. Jason Cordova, welcome back.
1: (laughs) Ah, yes, thank you. I'm glad to be back.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So when we were getting ready to record the Kickstarter special, I put it out on on some forums that I was going to be talking to you. And did anyone have any questions? And most of the questions that came in didn't really seem like they fit into the history, the culture, the community, the Kickstarter conversation that we had. But a lot of these, I think, are pretty good. So (laughs) we're just going to I'm just going to read you some questions. And, uh, and we'll see what, what happens.
1: I shall do my best to answer them.
0: <laughs> so Tony starts you off with a good one. Why is Brindlewood Bay so good?
1: Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Brindlewood Bay is so good because it came out of a very, very good play culture. The mechanics and the procedures and stuff of Brindlewood Bay come from a place, the gauntlet, that uh, has a lot of experience with this stuff. And... Um, I, as a GM, I GM hundreds of games a year. So I have a lot of experience at the table. So yeah, I, I, I think that's why, because I, people I game with all the time, we are, uh, we game a lot and we have our, um, our way of doing things and we've managed to codify and systematize that in Renderwood Bay.
0: That's good. That could have been a very silly answer. Uh, but that you was know. a real answer. That no, was a
1: real answer, yeah.
0: You're getting only yeah. real answers today. So All right. <laughs> um, he has two follow-ups. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a character in a mystery that
1: you maybe wrote or did not write that you feel is a lot like you? Oh, that's really good. Um, I think I am probably, I did not write this mystery, but I am probably most like the, I am an amalgamation of Ava and Phoenix Cole, who are the, Uh, the couple that runs the bed and breakfast uh, in the mystery, the long, dark tea time of the soulless. And I assume that's Tony Vicenda who sent that question, and Tony's actually played that mystery. Um, I am a combination of these two characters because Ava is, like, the very, like, put-together, serious, like, focused one, and Phoenix is, like, the kind of um, good-natured, like, make-everybody-happy one. And I think I am the combination of those two people. Um, I'm very, very focused on, like... They kind of i, I take role-playing games really seriously i take what we do very seriously but i also try to be um i also like to play and i like to have fun and i like to make friends so it's. i think it's a i think it's a combination that makes makes um uh i've had to learn to be that way <laughs> when i was a lawyer i was just the ava <laughs> but now i'm the ava and the phoenix so yeah wow
0: uh, if I had known that before we ran it on the podcast, it might've been, I might've played them differently,
1: but uh, all right. I don't know what it says about me that Ava is usually the murderer in that one, but <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and his, Tony's last question, what would you enter into the great uh Bay bake-off?
1: Okay. So I knew this question beforehand, so I have a chance to think about it. Um, for the pie round, I would actually do my mother's pumpkin pie. Uh, my mom makes the best pumpkin pie I've ever eaten. And, um, I'm not saying that just because she's my mom, if it wasn't good, I would tell her that, um, <laughs> no, it's, it's a really, really good pie, um, because it uses, uh, the crust is, uh, well, the pumpkin mix is really good, but the crust is like a praline, um, a praline crust. And it's really, really tasty. And yeah. so I would definitely enter that for the pie portion and for the cake portion, I'm just going with my favorite type of cake, which is Italian cream cake. So. Good answer. Yeah.
0: Catharsis is jelly asks, uh, what tips do you give newcomers who want to run their very first Brindlewood bag game?
1: Oh yeah. So I think the best thing is to, hmm, well, so we have that little session zero or session one procedure in the beginning, in the back of the book. And I think that that is a great place to start in terms of just make sure you read that and make sure you go through that really carefully Because what it's going to do is it's going to give you a chance as the keeper to sort of be on stage for a little bit, doing a sort of low stakes, like just reading a script kind of thing. And that actually helps like settle your nerves and get you kind of like into it. In terms of like preparing before that, though, you don't have to do much. Uh, You should obviously read the rules. I think it helps to watch an episode of Murder, She Wrote or something like that in order to get into the headspace, because Brindlewood Bay is definitely uh inspired in part by cabot cove on murder she wrote so yeah i think that's a good place to um if you're just trying to get some vibes i guess yeah um k green
0: 2343
1: has a follow-up for that uh what is your favorite episode of murder she wrote? Go, yeah okay so i had to go look up the name of it because i knew i knew which one it was but i didn't know the name but i went and looked up the name it's from season one it's called murder takes the bus and This one is uh, Jessica Fletcher and the sheriff and some other uh, folks from Cabot Cove are taking a trip and they're on a bus and this jerk gets killed on the bus. Um, But what's great about it is it ends up being this really terrific uh, sort of bottle mystery because the bus breaks down. And so all the characters on the bus end up in this diner and they have to figure out who did it before the bus gets fixed. (laughs) And so they have; they're like on a timer uh, to get to get the murder figured out. So it's just kind of a fun. I I like a sort of like closed room mystery. Anyway, I think that's really fun. And then, um, but this episode also has great guest stars: Uh, Linda Blair from The Exorcist is in it. Uh, Rue McClanahan from The Golden Girls is in it, so you get a little bit of that like Golden Girls vibe as well. Um, Yeah, it's it's a great episode. Just you know, just a good. You know, it's it's a classic murder she wrote.
0: Excellent. Uh, a couple of questions were were pretty similar, so I'm going to group two here. What aspect of Brenda Wood Bay was the hardest to sort out? And maybe the answer is the same as what was the biggest
1: design challenge for you mm-hmm. to solve? Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. I I wrote Brenda Wood Bay to solve a problem for the between. I talked about that last time, right? And so. The mystery portion of it actually wasn't too difficult because that was the reason why i made the game like i i went into it knowing what i wanted to do as far as that goes but we had the idea that Brenda Wood bay was originally going to be a part of zine quest that year and so we were determined to fit the book into 40 pages so it could be a zine you know hmm. uh, it did not end up being part of zine quest but we did stick with that 40 page format so that you can print it off easily right But the tricky thing about that is when you only have 40 pages especially 40 zine size pages you have to make some sacrifices in the text right and so it was tricky for me to make sure that keepers were getting enough advice to run the game right and so we had to make some compromises as far as like how much keeper support there is in the text and so kind of figuring out the right amount um, trying not to assume too much about what they might know about powered by the Apocalypse games, certainly making sure they understand the system at a basic enough level so they can run it um while still staying within our word count was pretty tough. And it's actually one of the things I'm really happy about as far as Kickstarter goes, because this new book for Kickstarter is going to be the fuller expression of what I really wanted to do, right? Um, I'll have the space to really kind of get into the details of of running the game and um and kind of presenting clues and like, cause there was also like follow-up questions we got from the community afterwards because the keeper stuff is so light in the original release, you know, I mean, I think the game is still pretty easy to run, but, but that's because we did spend so much time trying to figure out like, what's the balance between what, what to give the reader so they could run it while sticking within our word count. That was, that was pretty tough, but yeah. that's why I'm happy about the Kickstarter because I get to like present to the world, the version that I really want to be out there.
0: Yeah. Following up on Powered by the Apocalypse stuff, um, mm. Vels, oh, screen names, uh, Vels Velshaid, Velshaid asks, uh, what PBTA game do you love that doesn't get enough attention?
1: Oh, there are several, um, probably more than several, but the one that I think I want to highlight is called The Sword, the Crown, and the Unspeakable Power. It is often shortened to Scup. Um, <laughs> Uh, SCUP, The Sword of the Crown of the Unspeakable Power, is a Powered by the Apocalypse game that aims to tell Game of Thrones-style fantasy political intrigue, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not a perfect game, if I'm being honest. And I, and I, and regretfully, I can't remember who the author is, but it's, it's not a perfect game. And if I were writing it, it would be a little different. But there are some really great ideas in this game. Um, it's... The, the folks who wrote it, uh, they used to have a powered by the Apocalypse podcast called the Jankcast. And so they were very, and they used to do Apocalypse World APs. And so they're really, really connected to like PBTA as a concept. I do think maybe a little too connected. I think SCUP is maybe a little too close to just straight Apocalypse World for my taste, but Mm -hmm. there are so many good ideas in it though. Um, Like, because what they essentially do is they make it so you can have this sweeping political intrigue, Game of Thrones style while still having like individual character stories right and it's a it's an interesting balance um and also they're not just directly aping Game of Thrones either they've come up with their own kind of setting as well so it's a setting that feels like that it feels very epic and soaked in lore but it's unique to the to the game and I, I quite enjoyed that um so yeah the sword of the crown and the unspeakable of unspeakable power um it is a uh, very, very under the radar PBTA game, but I think it deserves a, a second look. Yeah.
0: Velshaid, second question. Uh, any chance that the between will get a
1: physical release? There is a chance. Uh, yeah, it's going to happen. Um, we don't know when um, we are currently in the middle of our kind of, you know, kind of building up and developing the game phase, you know, as we have sort of, it's become our kind of thing now, ever since trophy and Wood Bay. So we are, In the middle of seasonal releases for The Between, we just released season four in the Gauntlet Patreon. We have two more seasons planned. And then sometime after that sixth season comes out, we will go to Kickstarter or some kind of crowdfunding um, in order to put together the big final uh, product of The Between. I will say, though, that um, in the meantime, something to look forward to, apart from new stuff, is in the summer we are making essentially what's like a creator's program for the between so there's going to be a lot of like um we're going to be putting out some guidance and things for people who want to create their own hacks of the between and we'll be putting out our own hack of the between another standalone game in the between line to show what that looks like uh that game is called the between ghosts of el paso and so um that that'll be a lot of fun people should look forward to that but yes but there will be a physical version just um uh, definitely not this year uh but maybe next year sometime yeah
0: Kristen, the dm uh says uh asks if i can get you to run through the crown moves that's Mm -hmm. the only part that took me a little bit to
1: grok yeah what are the crown moves yeah, so it is, it is, it's a good question because it is very uh unusual, uh definitely unusual for Powered by the Apocalypse games, and I think pretty unusual in the hobby in general. Um so this the crowns, uh, the crown mechanic, it's called putting on a crown in the game. It is a sort of out-of-character mechanic, right? So the thing about Brindlewood Bay, and indeed the way that I designed role-playing games, is the assumption is that the players and the keeper are also members of the audience, right? Like we are we are playing the characters, but we are also members of the audience watching what the characters do. And so the crown of the queen and the crown of the void exist fully outside of the characters. The characters have no conception of the crown of the queen and the crown of the void. This is solely for us as a play group. Um, the way it works in the game, just so people know, is whenever you're rolling dice and you get a bad result or a result you're not happy with, after the keeper narrates what happens, like after you, it could up to and including like the ma- Maven being killed, right? You can decide, nope, I wanna, I wanna backtrack. I wanna put on a crown, and if you put on a crown, you mark either the crown of the queen or the crown of the void, one of the boxes, and then you get uh, your die roll gets bumped up to the next highest tier, and and whatever just happened did not happen. We re- we rewind literally and do something different. Um, And so the crown of the queen, they're all different narrative prompts about exploring the character as a woman. And then the crown of the void are mostly like game changing conditions that show the maven getting wrapped up in the occult conspiracy in the town of Brindlewood Bay. Right. So, um, but yeah, you mark it and then you get your your bump up on the, on the die result and then you get a new outcome and then you have to like do a little narration usually in order to, to do that. The The thing about it is the key to understanding it is that it exists entirely outside the character's knowledge, right? It is a, uh, for, I hate the term meta, but it's a meta mechanic, right? It is an out of character mechanic. Um, and it's kind of a way of saying like, it serves a couple of purposes. Like one, it is a, um, It is a way of saving the character right so it actually gives you as the player almost like near total control over when and how your character dies right that's a sort of philosophically a thing i'm into i think players should have more say in how their character uh whether their character lives or dies in a given moment and yet because the way it works we still get the fun of seeing the characters in danger sometimes extreme danger even if that's not the danger that actually comes to pass right Uh, But also we get to learn a little bit more about the character's backstory with the crown of the queen. We get to just learn about them more as full characters. And if you start getting the crown of the void involved, all kinds of, that's where a lot of the creepy stuff happens in the game. So um, uh, like one of the crowns of the void, uh, the pallid mask, after you mark that forever after, in a conversation with another character, you have to talk about death. (laughs) You have to like bring up death, right? Um, So yeah, Uh, my other game, The Between, has a similar mechanic called the Janus Mask. And in fact, the Janus Mask inspired the crown mechanic because that existed before uh, the crown mechanic. Um, And it's the same thing in The The Between. The Janus Mask is sort of, it's about the past and the future. And so you narrate um, basically in exchange for narrating something dramatic about your character's past or, putting your thumb on the scale for their future, you get a bonus on your dice. So,
0: mm-hmm. And when Sweeps Week mysteries were introduced,
1: the crowns changed a little bit. They did, yeah. So um, if you're playing a Sweeps Week mystery, which I believe we talked about last time, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm going to assume you know what that is, listeners. Uh, if you're playing a Sweeps Week mystery, the Crown of the Void is not in play because the Midwives of the Fragrant Void um threat is not in play that you're not doing that campaign right uh instead each sweep sweep mystery has its own special crown for that mystery that you can tap into and it usually explores ideas and themes connected to the mystery
0: yeah danny Reddit. um and we've talked about this one before but this is great i think everybody likes to talk about this one what is the design route of mysteries not having pre-written answers
1: yeah we did talk about this quite a bit last time and so i don't think i need to go over a lot of that again but i will say that i you know i wanted a mystery system that leans into and in fact harnesses the power of the medium and so i wanted a mystery system that was fundamentally collaborative up to and including the solution of the mystery being collaborative and um there were some games there have been some games that have gotten pretty close to this, right? They haven't quite done it the way I've done it, but they've gotten really, really close. Uh, Meg Baker's *Siren*, about superpowered amnesiacs uh, on the run from the government or aliens or something. They uh, that game has like little individual character mysteries about themselves because they're am- because they have amnesia. A lot of what they're doing is trying to figure out like, well, who am I? Where did I come from? How did I get these powers? and it's an emergent process like it's 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 you sort of emergently decide at the table like what that means right and so siren got pretty close to sort of what i had in mind or what i would eventually create um another game called lovecraft desk by josh fox and becky annison has another uh, kind of a similar idea in terms of there are clues and you are going to come up with a solution except in that game it's a much more like personal thing and it's and the solution is not canonical it's mostly just you as a player sort of ruminating on what you think is going on right um uh and so but but that also has like kind of a really similar like kind of approach. So my mystery system is by no means like entirely unique, right? I do think the way I've incorporated it in terms of its mechanics and procedures I think it's it's really effective, but um but there were certainly games that came before that were kind of like pushing around on this idea of the emergent mystery.
0: Shakura 13, what kinds of hacks have you been seeing that get you excited about the Brindlewood Bay system?
1: Yeah, so A lot of the hacking right now is happening in the between space, which is kind of the same thing because the two games share, you know, the same DNA. Um, The between is, has a lot more like mechanical parts to play with. And so I think it's easier to hack for that reason. The Brindlewood Bay is such a kind of closed uh, space in terms of what you can do with it, right? Uh, Or at least more. So, Um, and so... the between hacks i've seen coming there are a few that i'm really really excited about i'm excited about um jim crocker's x capes Uh, that actually started as a Wood bay hack and now it's kind of moved more to be about the between but um that is about street level supers solving mysteries in a a neighborhood i'm very um i'm very fond of what alicia is doing with the unquiet dark which is that's a Wood bay hack And it is set in the universe of Brenda Wood Bay. Actually, it's like, it's basically Brenda Wood Bay, but like during the jazz age. (laughs) Um, And so that's kind of fun. I want to say though, that I think the best is yet to come. And the reason why is because this summer we're going to put out that official guidance for like hacking the between Brenda Wood Bay, right? Okay. I think a lot of people are waiting for that, you know, Um, but there's good stuff coming. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on in our discord and I all of it in various stages of completion nothing is done yet I'm hoping that like when we put out our guidance that'll be enough to get people to push them to like get it done you know um I also host a lot of workshops too that's not something I talk about much but I host workshops um pretty fairly regularly I think um I've posted about six or seven just on Brentwood Bay in the between uh kind of helping people write their own stuff for the games so um I hope to we kind of ramp that up soon and get more uh get more stuff out there but there is a thing that people in our discord are really excited about. And I think there's a little bit of like turf war going on about who's going to write it. (laughs) Um, But, and I don't know how it's going to shake out. And I have no, I have no favorites as far as that goes, but people are excited about writing uh, a game that I call moonlight Valley, which is stardew Valley, except it's basically stardew valley with like creepy town mysteries so you do your farming in the day and then at night you go in town and solve mysteries about the town and uh everybody in discord is really excited about this and i think there's several people working on something like it so um we'll, we'll see how that race shakes out but yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's fun uh, with mysteries that other people have written for the game what are some of your favorite things that you've seen? For example, maybe a favorite suspect or a, a new location, something that other people have written in that you're like, oh, I'm glomming on to that. That's great.
1: Yeah, I do love The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soulless. That's the one David Morrison wrote that I referenced earlier. I love that mystery so much um, because it it feels uh, it feels like I wrote it. Um, not not like, like the quality of the writing necessarily, but like it feels it feels really connected to the setting, right? Like it kind of feels like it was written at the time the game was written. And, um, it has great characters, uh, the aforementioned Coles, but also there's a character called uh, Percy Underwood who, um, who changes outfits every time you see him. So every time you see him, he's in a different costume, you know? And I actually took that character and made an ancestor character called Periwinkle Underwood and put him in the between. And he functions the same way in his mystery or in his threat in the between. He He's always changing outfits. Um, I, I love that mystery so much. Um, I really, really dig... Uh, Chris Bissett wrote a mystery called um, Fudge Jury and Executioner. And the mavens are invited to a nearby town uh in order to judge a fudge competition <laughs> okay mm-hmm. um it's a follow-up from the great britain Wood bake off they they were seen on tv and so they got invited to judge this this fudge competition but what i love about this mystery is crisp has they've essentially created like a little brand new setting which is this town that is like uh like it's basically like a little like we britain if you've ever watched of development uh, in rest of development there's this in season three there's this like little neighborhood called we britain where everything is like a little london in miniature right and so that's what this is it's like a little tiny london in the middle of massachusetts and so it's got like like all the language and all the infrastructure and all the characters are like straight out of london but like somehow teleported into the massachusetts of brindlewood bay and it's just so absurd and delightful uh, it's really well written Uh, I dig that one quite a lot. Um, I like the ones that have a strong horror event as well, um, because I do consider the game to be a horror game. And uh, in addition to a mystery game, and one of them is called, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's like, it takes place at this like bonfire though. There's like a high school bonfire and it has really strong horror elements. Like it's got like, it's basically about high schoolers out having a bonfire, but it has like maybe- in a nod to the genre that it kind of comes from it has it has like almost like slasher horror vibes to it in a way and the babies are sort of in this environment and it's it's a it's a fun mix tonally it's a fun mix so yeah but there's a lot of good stuff out there uh, those are just a few off the top of my head yeah
0: beef party wants to know Something I've always wondered, can I just make up clues to suit the context rather than use the ones in the mysteries? If so, can I just start making up NPCs? If so, can I just start making up
1: everything? (laughs) Um, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to go to your house, Beef Party, and slap the rules out of your hand. You can do whatever (laughs) you want to do. I will say that, um, so for the clues, I do encourage you to to adapt the clues as needed in order to make it fit the mystery and in particular fit how the mavens are investigating right you know if they are if they're talking to someone and the clue is a blood-stained carpet you've got to figure out a way to make that work in a conversation right um so you should definitely adapt as needed I, I In the spirit of the question, I, I basically agree. I mean, to some extent, the mystery is just inspiration, right? Like it's just lists of inspiration for so that you can improvise in the moment, right? I will say, though, that there is a certain alchemy to it. I mean, the clues have a certain balance, at least of the mysteries I've written and published. They have a certain balance of like some that are kind of more like general purpose a few that kind of point in one direction or another um so you have like a good mix so that the keeper always has something to kind of like grab onto you know um there's a good mix of like types of clues as well so um yeah and in terms of like making up characters and things on the fly yeah you definitely can and sometimes you have to right i mean it's sometimes it's fun to as a result of the die rolls, like if there's a complication, you introduce some new, cal- new character or some new thing happens. Right. I will say that I think the experience is a lot more um, memorable and you get to participate in more of a sort of shared experience with other Brindlewood Bay groups. When you do kind of stick to the, to the material. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I say that to somebody who has written tons of their own material on their AP podcast. about <laughs> <Brindlewood> Well, <Bay.
0: laughs> it's, it's interesting because I've I'd be, gone I'd be through curious curious that arc. Your
1: thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think with the first, couple. I, um, I had, when I ran it, I just had a random item, item generator open. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't plan any of them. And it was like, it was really challenging the players to come up with a way to get these things to fit that nobody designed to fit.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that was fine. (laughs) but (laughs) Then it sort of was like, well, maybe I should plan those a little bit more after we did that a couple of times. The trick that I have with running the published ones, and I think it's something that everyone, a dilemma that all the keepers have to deal with is sometimes it feels like if I choose this clue, it's like putting my thumb on the scale and it's obviously this suspect if I choose that. So I'm like looking at I'm like if I do that it'll in, implicate this person. If I do that one, it'll implicate this other one. So That's then I have I, to make yeah. them a little more vague is sometimes.
1: So, so what I do, yeah, that is one way to handle it. You could just make the clue more vague or what I do is I just immediately follow up with a, a clue that implicates someone else. <laughs> right? yeah. and, then they, and now they're like going in two different directions, you know? Um, I, I trust that players will always figure it out. Uh, cause they usually do, uh, or they, you know, figure out like what to do with, you know, um, you know to get to the to get to the solution they want to get to they are usually pretty good at like making whatever your adaptations are work i will say that i think it's not what the questioner asked but i do think something i've discovered in in Wood Bay and especially the between but in Wood Bay as well is um it's really fascinating to like hang out in our discord or hang out in other online spaces where people have played these games and hear them have, like, their own experience with these same characters that other groups had an experience with, right? Like, like it's really fun to, like, you know, to, like, talk about how your group experienced this particular mystery and interact and what happened with this character or that character. And then other groups, like, well, this is what happened with our version of the character. And I think it actually is, um, I think it's actually what one of the things that kind of makes the games, uh, I don't know, I think it kind of makes it kind of feel kind of special because lots of role-playing games have like shared settings, right. That you play in. Right. But, but they don't have like the same, like uh, focus that like these games do so that like, you can realistically interact with like four or five characters that lots of other people have interacted with in other parts, in other games, you know, in other play groups. And that sort of shared, that sort of shared interaction with the setting, like, your version of of your version of the setting your version of the mystery versus another group's version i think that just kind of makes an interesting community around the games you know and it's fun mm-hmm. uh it's kind of fun to, to to see what other people do and so that to me is a reason to to stick to the you know, to the, um, to, to the mysteries as written. Uh, but that said, it's also fun to say, well, when I ran dad overboard, I introduced, uh, you know, I had the, uh, the young veteran that Allison Krauss is having an affair with. I had him show up. Right. And you know, that kind of thing. So that's fun as well. But yeah,
0: this, uh, sort of a follow-up by questing GM. Do you have tips or what is your mindset when you write your own mysteries? Mm-hmm. This sort of goes directly to it. Like when a keeper is reading something that's been published, we assume that there's been some kind of systematic approach to designing the suspects, the rules, the void clues and all that kind of thing. What, what are your tips on, on how you do it and how you maybe would suggest other people approach it?
1: I pick a big idea or a theme. Uh or a motif or some combination of those three things. And I always just try to refer back to it. So um, sometimes the the big idea is like me parodying something, right? So the Great Britain Wood Bay Bake Off, that was pretty straightforward because I knew I wanted to parody uh the Great British Baking Show, you know. Um I so it was it was that was pretty uh it was very like straightforward what I had to do there, you know. Um other mysteries. It's a, it can be a little bit more subtle and a little bit more thematic, right? So um, in our other game, Trophy, the theme is like right at the top of the incursion, right? So you know what you're kind of getting and there's advice on how to incorporate the theme into the play. Um, Brindlewood Bay works the exact same way. It's just not as like bright lined on the page as it is, but it's just, we, we recommend the same thing. Pick a theme, pick an idea and kind of go from there. Um, some people, I also think in, for Brindlewood Bay in particular, a great jumping off point is to pick like to pick a place or an event that's very distinct, um, that the mavens are at. That's a great jumping off point for a mystery. Um, you know, a Mexican restaurant, a, you know, a convention, um, a, a video arcade, just like some disc discreet place. Um, that the mavens are at where a murder happens or that the mavens show up at because a murder happened um that's a great great foundation for a mystery because that starts to inform who the characters might be what the clues might be um starts to inform like what kinds of little in-jokes you might want to make and what kind of references um usually helps you get to a good title because brindlewood bay mysteries have to have a good title you know a good punny title and so, yeah, the, the, big idea or like a big look loca- or like a distinct location or a theme, that's how I kick off. And that kind of go from there.
0: When, uh, when you're designing clues, do you feel like each one has to be directly related or do you sometimes put in, I don't know who this applies to or which location it applies to, but I'm going to put in this random thing because it's a cool thing.
1: Yeah, I do a mix. Um, I, for me, I usually do a mix. There's about 20, I think there's 20 clues per mystery. I usually write it so that the suspects in their little description, it has like, there might be like a little hint of like why they might've done it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So I try to usually put that in there and that's what I consider a lowercase C clue, right? Like there's clues all over the place, but the, the ones, the capital C clues, which are mechanically important. um, There's about 20 of those. And I do a mix. Um, I usually do like four or five that are just, either very, very generic or could apply or, or, or not like immediately obvious what they might apply to, right. Just like strange things. Um, I think the key to writing a good clue, uh, well, so four or five that are kind of like more general purpose. And then I usually have like 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 one two or three per suspect that it's like a little bit more about them right or like maybe could like be more about them than another character right um sometimes i usually also mix in a few that are very very like thumb on the scale you know Mm -hmm. Uh, but you don't have to write them that way you can also write them to where instead of like naming specific suspects you just say a suspect does this or you learn this about a suspect or whatever right and kind of leave it up to the keeper. when writing clues i think the key is to make sure that it's something that the mavens would notice that's the key right so a pair of muddy boots is a bad clue because why would why would the mavens notice a pair of muddy boots right but a pair of muddy boots in an unusual location that's Mm. noticeable or a pair of freshly muddy boots well that's interesting right um you know you you put something into the clue that's like that that would cause the mavens to notice it for some reason right Mm -hmm. um i think that's really important as well you can't just have like random objects as clues right there has to be some kind of like context that would make them make it stand out
0: yeah mark asks a question that is probably uh it's if not just a whole podcast in and of itself this might be a book uh Can you, uh, you know, in the time that you want to devote to it now, delve into the principle of play to find out?
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, Yeah. Um, That, of course, is a principle of Powered by the Apocalypse Games. Uh, The idea being that there is not a a railroad or a set story um, and that and that we just sit down and we play to see what happens. And I, and I love it. It's a great principle of play. Um, it's how I play all role-playing games. Um, I do think that it is not a perfect, it's not a perfect principle for how I design games, if I'm being honest, um, because I actually think that there is space for a little bit of linearity in role-playing games design. Um, trophy dark i didn't make trophy dark but i was involved in it and trophy trophy dark is incredibly linear (laughs) you go from Mm. ring one to ring five and that is and you always end in ring five and that's how it goes you know um but the but but the play to find out part of it though is that in between there are mechanics and rules and things that that support the story that happens in the middle right i i like the um i call it the I call it the corridor as opposed to the railroad. The corridor is we are starting at one end of the corridor. We're going to end at the other end of the corridor. But in the meantime, there are doors going into rooms all along the corridor, and we can go in and out of those doors. But we still end up at the end of the corridor, right? Um, So I actually think that you can go too far with play to find out. Like sometimes games are so open-ended that you don't know how to get started. (laughs) You know, like that can be a problem. Like, like story, a lot of the early story games, especially have this problem, like where they have a great concept and a fascinating, maybe even a really good setup procedure, but then you sit down and you're like, well, what do we do now? You know, Mm -hmm. um, that getting started problem is, is real, you know? And, um, and so I think that it's okay to have structures of play that do kind of guide things a bit, right? While leaving lots of space in the middle for collaboration and for things to happen, you know, to to happen that no one anticipated, right? Um, obviously, the, the mystery system in Brentwood Bay is very much in the spirit of play to find out, right? I mean, in this case, no one. We're all playing to find out who did it, you know? Um, I love it as a principle. I think that you can go too far with it, and I think there's a balance. Um, there's a balance between, like, um, um like, linearity and... Um, and like open-endedness, you know, Mm -hmm.
0: going back to what you just said, uh, because nobody at the table knows the, the solution to the mystery when the game begins, when you run into folks who sort of bump up against that and say like, well, somebody has to know the GM, the, the keeper has, has to know something. What is your, what is your quick pitch for someone Mm. who has that immediate block where it's like, "Well, well, what do you mean? I don't know what to do. How do you even do that?
1: Yeah, it's tough. Right. Um, I have not, I have to, I'll confess, I actually have not encountered that because I think maybe people, uh, I think maybe just the people I interact with on a daily basis are already primed to enjoy this kind of thing, you know? Um, so I haven't had to do it. I do know that other people do sometimes though. And I think that the key is, I think it's really just about like you stress that like, look, we're all here to be entertained. We're all members of the audience. Like, you too get to be surprised, right? Like, like it, it, everyone gets to be surprised about who did it, right? Um, I think that's a big part of it. And depending on how much time they have, I might go into, you know, um, the, the role-playing games are at their best when we're all collaborating on the story, you know? And, um, and so but but yeah the fundamental you know the fundamental premise of like the keeper not knowing the solution and indeed no one knowing the solution and you all coming up with a solution at the end is i, I can definitely see some play groups and some gms being you know kind of like whoa i don't know what to do with that or that is unusual or and i guess it's just you just got to try it <laughs> you know you got to try and play it and i promise like once you do it you'll love it you know um and I don't even think it's necessary. Like, it, it's the right thing for Wood Bay. It's the right thing for The Between and games like it. It may not be the right approach for Call of Cthulhu, right? Because part of your satisfaction in running Call of Cthulhu, for example, might be reading the scenario and understanding it. And, and that's the joy and the pleasure you get out of running that game. And that's great. Like, that's that's awesome. If your players are willing to make that journey with you, then go do that. Um, what Wood Bay posits is that there's another way of having fun with the mystery right and so that's the way we've chosen to do it uh but i understand like why some people want to know right because for some people the pleasure of of the scenario is like is is kind of reading it and knowing it and i get that um this is just different
0: yeah jacques asks would you consider building solo tools uh, mm. random tables oracles etc for Brindawood bay or the between
1: Uh, Did we talk about the cookbook last time? We did. 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 Okay, so we are doing that. Um, (laughs) uh, I am not, but uh, David Morrison is. And um, so we are looking at the mystery system as a solo experience in the cookbook that's part of Kickstarter. And so, yes, we're open to that. I'm open to that. I actually think this is not what the questioner asked, but I actually think that the mystery part, the mystery system part of Brindlewood Bay can be bolted on to almost anything <laughs> like it, like there's, there's really nothing about it that makes it PBTA necessarily. Right. Like I like PBTA because that's my preferred system. And so that's why it has a PBTA chassis, but, but you could take the mystery system of Wood Bay and or the between and absolutely like make it work in your D20 game or your fortune, the dark game or whatever. Right. Um, there's, there's nothing to stop you from doing that. I would love for people to, to do it. I, I am not personally like, um, I am not like personally excited from a design standpoint to work on solo games. It's just not my thing as a designer, uh, which is why we've asked David Morrison, who's much more into it, to write the cookbook uh, mystery. Um, I, I'm excited by that and I'm excited that people love that kind of style of play. Uh, for me as a designer, it's not my personal thing that gets me going, you know. Um, but I, yeah, but I but I think the question is right. I mean, I think you can probably adapt it pretty easily to that format for sure mm-hmm. we're almost at the end here okay
0: we, we talked about this one um a little bit last time uh but uh what do you think Wood bay gains from being from its minimalistic approach to moves and f- its flexible approach to stats
1: yeah that's alexi's question right yeah um yeah i i thought about this because i knew it was coming and so a lot of it comes from just my personal sort of like belief that most PBTA games have too many moves. <laughs> um, I just believe that very strongly. Like I, every time I read a new PB, PBTA game, I usually go and I start like mentally hacking away at the moves. Like you don't need this. You don't need this. You don't need this. Um, in the case of Brindlewood Bay, it is a particularly slim moveset, right? Only, I think there's like four or five core moves or something. And um, and then each of the characters, the they have one or two, like, character moves, right? Like this, it's, it's really slim, and there's not playbooks either. I think the thing about it is a lot of PBTA games, it's about genre emulation, right? And mm-hmm. so the moves help you get to genre emulation, and that's awesome. Uh, and I love that. I have just chosen to get to genre emulation in this other way, and so the mystery system, the finding of clues, and the interpreting of clues, and the theorizing, that actually handles a great big portion of the genre I'm trying to emulate in Brindlewood Bay. And so there isn't a need for lots of moves. I just need a a slim move set that gets us to that part. Right. And, uh, and that's all it needs. Um, as far as like the playbooks, there are no playbooks. There's just one character sheet with just a, um, a contained set of moves, a a good number of them, but, but fairly, you know, it's still just one character type. The, I did it that I did that way, because I think that the murder mavens are, united more by what makes them similar than what makes them different Mm -hmm. and so they are different and we highlight those differences in different ways especially through narrating the crowns or by the the maven move they pick but um but they are mostly united in what makes them similar they are elderly widows In this town enjoying the twilight of their lives you know and finding companionship in each other and they like mystery books right like that's that's the thing whereas in the between there are playbooks because those characters are meant to be very different from each other and so you need new things um and so that's a lot of it it's just kind of meeting my design goals uh Wood bay does not have a lot of moves it's true but it's got uh, it does have mechanics and it does have procedures and they do they do function in a certain way right um just not in the uh not in the way that PBTA games normally do
0: final question from Derek ask Jason if he will guest on your podcast I
1: would like to hear Jason as a player uh, not going to happen um I don't play <laughs> um no offense to anyone uh, um, no, I, uh, no i'm I'm joking um I uh I actually don't like being a player um i am only a player sometimes i'm currently playing in uh my co-host uh, on fear of a black dragon tom's uh game of americana which is like a french surreal horror game uh there are very few people i will go be a player for tom is one of them um and uh i just i like being a gm man i don't to say i just what i like to do <laughs> that's, that's yeah. my that's my role <laughs> um so you know <laughs>
0: So finding you as a player on some actual place somewhere is going to be a very rare occurrence. Super rare. It's not going to (laughs)
1: happen. I mean, I think, I think I have, I think this game I'm playing with Tom, uh, I think it's the first time I've been a player in a game in like four years or so or five years. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am the forever GM and I like it that way. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Those were all of
0: our questions. Uh, and thanks to everyone who wrote something in, who posted it in a forum or sent me a DM. That was fantastic. I think a, a lot of these are really, they're things that people are talking about and sort awesome. of like yeah. mulling over. And yeah. thank you for taking the time to,
1: oh, thanks for, to address them. Thanks for having me on again. I love it. I, am um, I, you know, probably when this comes out, the campaign's already launched or pretty close to it. So yeah. folks, yeah. go back Brenda Bay on Kickstarter. Um, we are... We've got lots of great stretch goals lined up. I don't know which ones we're working on as of this recording because it hasn't launched yet, but, <laughs> but hopefully we are racking them up and ready to open, unlock more. So go, go, go get it. Great. Thank you again. Hey, thank you.